0: Hi everyone, I'm Lindsay Lavallee. Welcome to Rush Hour, the congestion of human trafficking in America. In this podcast, we will address the problem that is human trafficking, not only to spread awareness, but to share information that will help keep you and your community safe. Rush Hour is brought to you by the Wolf Group, powered by E-Tactics. Well, thanks, Bill, for joining this morning. I really appreciate it. And um, how are things going in your world? I know you've been working a lot internationally lately. So what's new?
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, Lindsay. Yeah, you know, um, business is booming, which is not really a good thing in our business. True. You know, um, a yeah. lot, of, lot of human trafficking going on. Um, you know, I think that the the one good thing is, is that you can attribute some of the more recent identifications and engagement on human trafficking cases with some of the training that's getting out there. You know, people are starting to, I'd be able to identify it and understand Mm -hmm. what's happening. So yeah. Good. How about you?
0: I like hearing that. Thank you. Well, funny, you should ask. I actually had a potential human trafficking situation fall in my lap last week. So as Bill, I, I know a lot of survivors and, um, you know, survivors that work within the nonprofit sector and have met a lot of um, survivors along the way. But recently I became friends with a girl on LinkedIn. We've become friends. And so we've just been chatting back and forth for a few, few months. And last week she sent me a message on LinkedIn and said, I don't know who to tell this to, but um, someone had reached out to her about a an active trafficking scenario that was happening in her town. And there were potentially six trafficking victims that were currently being trafficked. From what I put together, one of them had left or gotten away from her trafficker and wrote all of this out and handed it off to someone who handed it to my friend. And so she said, I don't know what to do. Um, she is not somebody that really wants to put herself necessarily out there where law enforcement's concerned. Um, she still has a little bit of a fear with that. And so she said, I will call the human trafficking, um, hotline, but I need somebody to call the FBI. And so I didn't (laughs) raise my hand and say, I will call the FBI. Um, but I, I sat on it for a couple hours, um, and just thought about it. And so I called the local sheriff's department, my husband reached out to um, a couple guys that he knew that were part of the Northeast Ohio Task Force, Human Trafficking Task Force. I called the local sheriff's department. I had about an hour and a half conversation with the local sheriff's department. I found out they do not have a human trafficking task force in that sheriff's department or in that county. At first, I will be honest, he, you know, he was candid with me and that they don't deal with a lot of human trafficking. In that county, it's a rural county, but by the time we were complete, you know, we finished the conversation, um, he was definitely on board, and it went from, well, I don't really know what to do, but I'll take this information, to, I think you should do this, and I think you should do that, to, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, so it was, he was just a really good guy, and so I also reached out, after we got off the call, I'd reached out to Jack Hall, who has been on our podcast, um, he knows a lot about you know, Northeast Ohio law enforcement and human trafficking is a big part of what he does. So he made some suggestions. I reached out to the Cuyahoga County um, Human Trafficking Task Force, and then I reached out to the local city police where this was occurring. I spoke with a the sergeant there. We had a pretty good conversation. He knew who some of the people were that I had mentioned, so it sounded like they were they were definitely on his radar. And then the next day, um, the, the Cuyahoga County guy reached out to me and we had a very in-depth conversation about it as well he said that he was happy you know that they would go all over the state to help counties that don't necessarily have a human trafficking task force and so so that's kind of what happened um since then the the drug task force has actually reached out to me which everyone i spoke with um throughout this whole process in law enforcement i was just imploring them um, not to necessarily just treat this as a drug scenario and you know, arrest these girls for drugs, even though that's likely involved, or arrest these girls for prostitution, um, but to treat them as as what they could, you know potentially be until they um, eliminated that whether they were actually trafficking victims. Um, I also was imploring them to please contact anyone else that, that's on the task force if, if they don't have this experience so that they could come alongside them and work with them through this. I implored them to get their victim advocate groups involved and not to go in without those people in place, you know, because if they go in and they find out that this is a trafficking scenario um, without those you know, victim advocates in place. What will they be able to do for housing and food and rehab and medical and mental health? You know, they need all of those resources if these girls are being trafficked, um, if they are going to have success with, you know, removing them from this trafficking situation. So they were actually open to that. And that was those were the steps I took. I'm not going to sit here and say that I know that those were the right steps. So I'm telling all of this so that Bill can help me kind of break down what I maybe did right, maybe did wrong, maybe could have done differently. But also just to talk about this because, again, if any of us are, are faced with this situation, we talk a lot about well, what do we? What are the you know pieces of advice we give to Main Street? Well, I'm Main Street. Again, I'm kind of the poser in this whole anti-trafficking movement in that I don't work for a nonprofit directly with victims or survivors and I'm not bill who is like working internationally and with the president and you know our lawmakers but you know if we're presented with these situations which could happen what do we do so bill <laughs> here it is uh help me uh dissect this or or you know unwrap this a little bit
1: yeah well first i want to say Thank you, thank you for for taking the action that you did, right? And I think we've we've talked about it before on this podcast. You know, so many times uh, people see something or they're given a piece of information or or whatever, and, and their attitude is, "Well, somebody else's problem." So um, you were you were given information. It sounds like a lot of information, and and you chose to take action. So well done to you for that. I mean, I think it's just incredibly important, and the more that. We as communities, individuals in those communities, stand up and and do that. Additionally, I really wanted to point out. You know, I was so impressed to hear. You know how how you went that extra mile to when you were talking to law enforcement to say, you know, please. What I was hearing is to please take that very victim-centered, trauma-informed approach yes. that that I know we've talked about before. You know, I think your story really highlights a common problem we see across the country. You know, and that is the fact that so many of our frontline professionals are not trained on how to properly engage with these types of situations. Um, You know, you did the right thing in reporting uh, and being able to to identify that. But the response, while we're getting traction and and you were certainly persistent, uh, which is important as well, but the response was not necessarily what it could have been. But I think it's a call, right? It's a call mm-hmm. to action. We talk about that a lot on the podcast, right? What's our What's our call to action for our listeners and for society and different professionals? You know, I think training is critically important. I think it, it's an opportunity for our law enforcement leaders to step up and say, all right, we're going to dedicate resources, or we're going to at least take it seriously. Uh, we're going to put together uh, what what oftentimes is referred to in law enforcement as SOPs or standard operating mm-hmm. procedures around this. The other thing is going back to the you know the traditional Boy Scout model. Be be prepared. Right. So many, and and I know you've heard me say it before in trainings, Lindsay. You know, you tell people, listen. Plan on how you're going to respond yes. before that That's first case comes in. Them. Yes. You know? Like yes. have that have that plan in place. Because when the event comes, you don't want to be left scrambling trying to figure right. out what the heck do I do? Mm-hmm. Who do I call? Where are my resources? Right. Mm-hmm. Figure that out now before right. Lindsay calls you and tells you, Hey, there's some trafficking going on in your right. jurisdiction and you need to respond to it, right? right. So I think that's that's really, really important. And I think that's something that uh, all of us play a role in, right? Is to encourage our law enforcement, uh, to encourage our law enforcement leaders to take this seriously. And yeah, I'm not sure. saying that every police department across uh, America has to stand up a human trafficking unit because that's not an effective use of resources. Right, for sure. But what they can do is put a plan in place mm-hmm. that says, if we identify it, here's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. They can put a plan in place that says, we're going to make sure all of our officers have a baseline training on identification and victim-centered trauma-informed response, right? Those are very real action items that every law enforcement agency, whether it's a, a, a police department of two in a small mm-hmm. town, up to, you know, the, the NYPD that has tens of thousands you right. know uh, of, of officers right so yeah um, so that that's really where we need to be and I think your story uh, really highlights that you know in an unfortunate way and mm-hmm. and again I think you know I, I'm hoping that they still get some of that response that some things are maybe working behind the scenes that we don't know which oftentimes does happen sure. in law enforcement yep um, and and we can be hopeful for that but I think generally speaking, we, we this is a call to really kind of shift the way that we look at this issue from the criminal justice perspective
0: i think even if if the game plan is just to know who those resources are who are my vic- victim advocate groups that if this happens to come up that i can call on who are the task force that you know organizations that are local that can come alongside me and i think that's it's an ego thing i will say i got a lot of egos when i was talking to these people um i had to break through that i may have had to name drop a little bit bill um but just so they knew i would what i was talking about that i actually knew what i was talking about you know that i wasn't yeah just some schlup right that's just calling some random thing in and don't know what i'm talking about but i and after i cut through that then i could get to their hearts and get them to actually see like oh my gosh this could be happening but the other side of it is that the guy I know that's been doing this for 30 years and, you know, he's like, Linz, I go in there and he's like, sometimes the only thing I can do is bust these guys for drugs because, you know, the victims won't won't say that they're being victimized because they're scared because they're addicted to drugs. This is their supplier. This is their house. This is their you know, room and board and food. And, you know, this is their livelihood. So if, if I arrest these, this guy that traffics them or girl or whatever that traffics them, they're going to lose all of that. So they don't report. And so, you know, a lot of times all they can get, get them on are drugs. But I mean, what are your thoughts? And Bill, you've been there, right? You have done this job. You, you very well could have been the person that answered that phone call or been the person that called me back in this scenario. That could have literally been you. It likely was you in some situations in your past. So, I mean, what's some advice for law enforcement?
1: So I think that you raise a really good point. You know, I just want to kind of highlight that, that, you know, in certain scenarios, law enforcement says, and to some extent, it's a very valid argument that I just need to do something, right? And if Mm that something to get them out of that situation is to an effect an arrest at that point, then and and you'll even hear the argument, isn't that better that I'm putting them at least into a safe place, i.e. jail, than to, you know, be out being exploited or exposed mm-hmm. to drugs, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. And so really this is an issue that we're we're really grappling with all over the country right now. Sure. It's a very difficult issue to really talk about. And I just want to be not to be overly repetitive, mm-hmm. but I think that one of the solutions is what we were talking about earlier, and that is if we have a plan in place. And so what I mean by that is is I do not in any sense advocate for victims of trafficking being arrested. Let me just make that very clear. Same. But there are circumstances where they may end up in jail Mm -hmm. um because are they technically violating Mm -hmm. the law when they're in possession of drugs Mm -hmm. yes they are right Mm -hmm. are there scenarios where there aren't resources available at two o'clock in the morning yes there are right but what we need to be doing is we need to make sure that there is a plan for follow-through through through Mm follow-up you know you mentioned you know i could have been that detective right and many times I was back in my law enforcement days but one of the things that we did to safeguard against this is um, we went in and so uh, I worked for the police department and our uh, our sheriff's department ran the jails and we went in we we trained the sheriff's deputies on what to look for and so when somebody would come in they would do what they call a classification interview. so they'd interview them to see it's very common across the country you know you interview them to see if they're at risk for uh, you know self-harm if they're involved in gangs you know do they need to be kept separate you know uh from from other populations while they're there well they ended up adding questions that would look for indicators of trafficking uh-huh. and so there were many times that i would get a phone call um, or an email saying hey this individual was brought in last night on a possession of, you know, a narcotics charge, but there's indicators of trafficking. Will you come in and interview that person? And so that plan, that having that plan, that forethought allowed me to then be activated, to go in, conduct an interview, determine if, you know, if there are in fact indicators of trafficking and then start to activate services, right? right. Services can be activated at any point. That's a And thing. then we can also, activate legal services to help navigate the situation that they're right. uh, why they're there so it, it does really just i think it really does fall back on understanding that trafficking exists mm-hmm. understanding what a victim-centered trauma-informed approach is and then having a plan on paper that people can refer to and say mm-hmm. all right this is how we're going to respond Not if it happens in our jurisdiction, but when it
0: happens. 100% when, yep. Yeah, because I mean, my husband and I talk about this all the time, but he's like, Lindsay, the more we learn about this, the more you talk about this, the more he's like, doesn't it make you think like, who do I know that was one of three things, a victim, a trafficker, or somebody that's paid for sex? He's like we likely all know someone that falls into one of those three categories and I'm like yes you know like you're right like we know people all over from all different walks of life from all different backgrounds and it is a very valid possibility that we likely know somebody that's that is one of those three things And because it's happening so often, I mean, I've told in the past that I'm from a town of 300 people. That's not a joke. We didn't have a stoplight like as rural as it could be. And one of the girls that I grew up with have known since I was a toddler, her daughter was, you know, was being trafficked. I mean, she didn't end up getting trafficked, but it was to the point that the FBI was called in and intervened. And, and, you know, it was a trafficking situation. And that happened in that teeny tiny little town. Like it's happening. Um, luckily she was savvy. She knew to call the FBI. She she did that. She didn't even call 911. She called the FBI immediately. But it is happening.
1: And 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 you know that I I, I love your husband. I have a great deal of respect for him. And he is a hundred percent accurate here, right? And sometimes, you know, it's it's the people that we know, but it's also people that we never expect either that, right it's yes, people it's like you know like yes. if, if people are following the the Andrew Tate case right yes. now or just this week there was a, a an arrest an announcement of an arrest made with Eric Johnson who was a former NFL player oh, right. NFL uh, I saw that who yes. was who was arrested for trafficking yes. the, the reality that it is happening on such a large scale
0: should really
1: be a sign, be a signal to all of us to say, again, not if, but when it happens in our jurisdiction.
0: That's it, because it that's what I, I've said this before, I sound like a broken record, but it doesn't get to $150.2 billion because nobody's involved. It gets to that level because a lot of people are involved. That's a lot of money. That's, being that's right. um, had And I don't know if you read it, Bill, but the collaborative posted an article last week. I think it was the same day that this I got this um, tip. No, actually, it was the next day. The collaborative sent it to me in the email follow up that they sent. Um, and it was one of the survivors that was quoted. She said, I was trafficked from the time I was five until I was 17 by my father. And she said, I would go to school and couldn't even sit down. And I read that and I was just sobbing because I just think of like how many little girls or little boys go to school and can't sit down.
1: Absolutely. And and for, for our listeners that don't know who the collaborative is, uh, the Collaborative to End Human Trafficking is an incredible nonprofit organization based in, in Ohio that really is working to kind of bring... Um, awareness, but also to provide services and and to kind of address some of these really complex issues. Um, and I'd encourage our listeners to to check out their website, which is collabtoendht.org. Um, they're just doing some really amazing work.
0: If you haven't listened to our past podcast, Alicia and Kirsty actually joined us um, in the past on our podcast. So definitely give it a listen because. The work they do is is super impactful in, in this part of Ohio. And I mean, they work all over the state, but they are, they are definitely a great resource to have. So, Bill, I guess if we were giving someone a playbook that maybe didn't look like mine, because mine was certainly shooting from the hip, what would you suggest? I mean, what are some words of advice for steps they could take? If it's not what I did, is there anything I could have done differently or anything that you would suggest?
1: What I would say to our listeners is that anytime that they receive a tip about human trafficking, information about potential human trafficking, a victim discloses or even hints at disclosure, the first thing to do is to not discredit that information. Oftentimes, we have a tendency to say, well, I don't really know if that's true or that seems too salacious to be accurate. So I'm just going to dismiss it. I'm not going to do anything about it, right? We've got to believe survivors. We've got to believe that these things are happening. The second step is to take action. So you've got to report it to somebody. Mm-hmm. Now, every time we report, we're not gonna always get the reaction that uh, mm-hmm. that we hope to get out of that, right? Yes. Um, but we have, to, we have to recognize that as well. Yes. We have to recognize that that is something that is probably going to happen. But when we report, we were at least creating a record of some sort. So there were oftentimes investigations that I worked where a lot of my job was really going back and piecing together what had happened and and being able to at least, even if other agencies weren't identifying as a human trafficking situation, it was helpful to at least go find those reports to be able to put a timeline together. So I think definitely report, and I would encourage people to follow up with those reports. So you can definitely call the the National Human Trafficking Hotline, which is always important, uh, because again, that creates a record, it creates a report of what is actually out there. So it's okay to follow up with those that we filed reports with to say, was there action taken to really kind of push just like you did, Lindsay, to kind of say, all right, I didn't get anywhere here. Let me try going here. Let me try going there mm-hmm. until you until you get that response that you really want.
0: So would that I, I be think, your, your advice to me? Should I call them back and see what's going on with it?
1: I think so. Now, don't be surprised if they say, well, it's part of an active investigation. Sure. Now we can't tell you percent Right. But at least, you know, it's part of an active investigation. Mm-hmm. Right. So so that I think is at least reassuring that something is being done.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I want to restate what you said, when you said, and you did restate it, but I want to restate it again. When you said, if somebody brings you a tip to trust them, because how many trafficking survivors do we hear say the same thing, which is, I said something to somebody, but they didn't believe me. Our friend Carolyn, who has also been on our podcast, Carolyn said, you know, she was calling, saying my daughter's being trafficked, and, you know, I mean people just didn't take it seriously or they didn't believe them or or they didn't know what to do. So they just didn't do anything, you know, or whatever that might be. But right. I think that is just the best advice, Bill, is that we have to believe these people. And it is does sound far-fetched. And even my friend who was the survivor literally said when she messaged messaged Dan and Allison, she said, I know this sounds crazy. She's like, it sounds yep. crazy and when i was talking to all of the different law def- enforcement officers that i spoke with i said guys i realize this sounds you know dis- disjointed and that probably somewhere in the middle of all of this there is some level of truth but i said i want you to take this seriously as a trafficking situation and not just a drug situation i mean i you know me well enough to know that i'm not going to Pull punches with people, so right, I told right. them exactly what I thought, and whether they liked it or not, or thought I was just, you know, crazy. I, I I didn't care at that point, but but I I think that's it. It's like somebody has to believe these people. If nobody believes them, nobody ever gets taken out of these situations.
1: That's right, and and oftentimes, you know, sort of building upon that, right, is that. Survivors have had experiences where they did try to report to somebody and they didn't believe them. Right? They didn't take. Nobody took action. And I, I heard. I hear that even today I'm from sure. so many survivors that I get to work with. You know that will say. You know the the first time I encountered somebody, the first time I talked to somebody, there was no reaction. Yeah, nothing happened. You know there was there was no. They didn't believe me or they didn't do anything about it. And what happens when we don't believe a survivor? uh particularly one that is being exploited in the moment, then they that actually helps facilitate the trafficking. 100%. It helps the trafficker, it reinforces the traffickers message that nobody cares about nobody you. That the only person them. you have to lean on is me. And it creates, it helps create that that independence. Um so I, I think that's really important to remember
0: you're right. It solidifies exactly what those traffickers are telling their, their,
1: their, right. Right.
0: Thank you, Bill, for talking through all this with me. I I can't say that I didn't want to call you immediately as, as all this was (laughs) going on, because I just respect your opinion on things. And you understand this more than 90% of people, or maybe 99% of people, but
1: Uh, No, I was just going to say, I I think you give me a little too much credit, uh, but I definitely appreciate it. There's, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, amazing professionals out there that do get it, you know, that are working in this space to, to try to bring about, you know, the necessary training, the necessary SOPs, the community awareness and engagement component, right? Um, To what's really happening. So, It really does, not to be cliche, but it really does take a village um, in a village of of different professionals. Um, It's always been my approach to the issue and and a lot of the focus of my work in this space has really been around multidisciplinary collaboration Um, and being able to bring all of those different, not just all those voices, because voices and opinions are really important to have at the table, um, but also to be able to, to to bring all the different resources to bear and different response models.
0: I guess you know this whole podcast. I always ask um, if we if you have some advice for Main Street. I feel like this this kind of has been all advice for Main Street. But any other thoughts that you might have, Bill?
1: No, I think yeah. I mean, really taking to heart what it is. I think the only thing we really didn't touch on was um, you know really advocating for awareness in the community. I think we we kind of mentioned it throughout. But I think it's an opportunity to engage with incredible nonprofits um, like the Collaborative to End Human Trafficking. But all communities across America uh, can find local organizations to help raise awareness, whether in their faith community, their civic clubs, in their schools. You know, just again, it's really important to have the to keep the conversation going.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. And I think that just, just knowing those people, my mom sent me, my mom's, you know, on the lookout for human traffic, all things human trafficking now, but she was at my nephew's basketball game. And again, we're from rural Ohio. So another rural, rural school. And there was a banner, like a retractable banner stand, um, which, you know, I'm the sign was in the sign industry. So she, I nerd out on signs, but she sends me this sign. Right. And, and she said, and she's like, look at this. And it was in this high school that my nephew was playing basketball and it was you know, a sign about human trafficking and, you know, some tips and where to call and things like that. And I was like, well, great. You know, some of these little rural towns are actually, you know, getting it and focusing on some of this. So I was really happy to see that. But I agree. I think just raising awareness in your community is is the most important thing. And again, just to go back to that, if somebody tells you that they're being exploited or that they're being abused in some way that we have to really take that seriously and um, investigate it. So Bill, as always, thank you. This has been a pleasure. I really appreciate your expertise and for, for hearing me out on all this and um, and giving some more advice. Thank you very much.
1: No, and again, kudos to you uh, for, for being courageous enough to stand up and take action.
0: Well, thank you. I, I I would give the kudos back to my friend who's the survivor because, you know, she knows where her boundaries are and what she's comfortable with, but I just Thank God she felt like she could confide in me in that, and um, and you know to all the survivors that are out there doing this work daily, I think it's just amazing. I can't say enough about them. So, thank you all for joining us today and for listening, and stay safe.